Well, I invite you to turn your copies of God's Holy and Inspired Word back to the Gospel of Matthew. This morning we are going to focus in on Matthew 5-6 as we um, are moving into, uh, as we continue to move through the sermon and through the, the Beatitudes. I had not originally intended on doing any of the Beatitudes like one at a time, um, like we have ended up doing, <laughs> but there's just so much here um, that that this morning I just, in God's providence, we landed on hungering and thirsting on a communion Sunday. So we're going to slow down this morning, focus in on this. I'm going to read from 5-6, but before I do that, I'm going to read from two places in Matthew cha- in John chapter 4. Um to help set up what Jesus says in in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus, in talking to the Samaritan woman at the well, uh, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Later in John 4, Jesus, in talking to his disciples, said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. Heavenly Father, help us this morning to allow your word to filter into the depths of our hearts and reveal to us, Lord, what we want, why we want it, and why it pales in comparison to what you are giving us. Realign and reorient the desires of our hearts this morning as you speak to us through your word. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I made the statement, when we first started looking at the Sermon on the Mount, the, a statement by John Stott that the Sermon on the Mount is probably the most well-known sermon. It's probably the well, most well-known passage of Scripture that's, that's known by people not only in the church but outside the church. It is also uh, probably um, the, the, the most, um, um, most often part of Scripture um, that is either disobeyed or, or tried to be explained away. <laughs> this is very challenging words from our Savior. Joe reminded me last Sunday as we were chatting um, before Sunday school, uh, C.S. Lewis saying that you never, you, a man never remembers how, how difficult it is to be good until he tries. This is why we struggle with the Sermon on the Mount. The, the blessedness, the, the wise living 
that Jesus is communicating to us, the conditions of wisdom that lead to experiencing blessing. If you want to become that tree planted by the streams of water with roots going down deep and growing tall and beautiful and bountiful as, as one who is connected to God. If, if that's what you want, Jesus says, then here in this life, while you wait for the fullness of the kingdom of God to come, while you wait, the, the way in which you experience blessing. It is counterintuitive. It is countercultural. It comes by means of being emptied in order to be filled. We have to be emptied of ourself. We have to be emptied of the world that is in us. We have to be emptied of the influences of the evil one. We have to be emptied of these things because they get in the way of our relationship with God. They get in the way of experiencing what God wants for us. This morning in Sunday school with the kids, I asked the question, why does God want us to obey him? And we looked at Genesis 2 from the very beginning. Obedience to God was a means by which we could enjoy the beauty and the bounty of God that he had built into the Garden of Eden. Obedience was the way of enjoying life, and it was the way of avoiding death. But, beloved, you and I wrestle and we struggle with truly embracing that the means towards glorifying and enjoying God, where we are those who partake of his beneficence, those who taste and see that he is good. The way that we do this is in devotion to him. You see, the life of our Savior shows us that he was one who, who came in total and complete devotion to his Father as lived out, a lived out embodied devotion in which Jesus was the embodiment of God's truth. He was the embodiment of God's goodness. He was the embodiment of God's beauty. We see this, all that is part of who God is, we see it in Christ. The warning to, for, from God to a sinful people from the very beginning is You've got to be careful with how you manage my blessings. You've got to be careful with how you respond to my blessings so that they are conduits to enjoying me and don't become conduits to becoming cursed. And what you and I struggle with is what Adam and Eve did from the very beginning. We go against God. We will receive his gifts and cut him out from them. 
when God redeemed us as a people, redeeming us out of Egypt and, and leading us to the promised land, that first generation who experienced, who saw, right? They saw and they heard, they smelled, they tasted the work of God as Yahweh was present in the ministry of Moses as they saw these visible manifestations, as they heard these manifestations, as God spoke to them at Mount, at Mount Sinai, and they were like, we can't hear Him speak to us. They experienced the presence and power of God, and that first generation thumbed their noses at God. And so for 40 years, they wandered in a wilderness until that generation would pass away. And in Deuteronomy, the next generation has come up. They are right back to that same place. And God tells them a, a second time, if you trust me, I will go before you. I will wipe everybody out for you. And I will give this thing that I promised to you. But you've got to trust me. But then he tells them in Deuteronomy 8, but you got to be careful when you get there and you don't allow those blessings to divert your devotion. And he says, look, I just had you wander for 40 years through the wilderness where I caused you to be hungry. I caused you to be thirsty so that you would be re- that you would be humbled into remembering that you need me. Beloved, I think that at the heart of that struggle that that you and I have in following God is it is so easy living in a world that we live in that is just you look at the bounty and the beauty of this area you look at the the beauty of the of nature you look at at the bounty of this area with with all these nice homes and nice cars and there is wealth yes there are other there there is also those who are struggling but when we look around this place, you, it, is, it is amazing that we live within this setting and it is so easy for us within this to forget God. Or even worse, to think that we can enjoy this on our terms rather than His. The question I have for us this morning is what do you want? What do you truly desire? Now, I've never seen it, uh, but the Christian philosopher James K.A. Smith, um, who wrote a whole book delving into this topic called You Are What You Love, he, he talks in several presentations that he's given on the topic. He talks about this movie, this Russian movie from the late 70s, in which the point of the movie is, is you have three basic characters. 
um, and and you you have a professor and you have someone else. I forget who that person is because, like I said, I haven't, haven't seen it. And then you have a guide, and the point of the guide is that he has come with wisdom to say there is this place that if you can get there. What will happen is you can go into this little, there's a room there, and if you find it and you enter into it, you will get what you desire. And so the movie is about, is, is, is about the guide taking them and getting them to finally arrive at this place. And they get there, and you would think, okay, we're at this place where if I go into this room, I get what I truly desire. And then it strikes them, what if I don't know what I truly want? And the only way for me to find that out is by stepping into the room. And what if what I get there scares me or harms me? And they're left in this place, this existential dread of, I I don't really know what I want. And if I get what I truly want, I don't know why that is. I, I don't know if I'll actually want it once I have it. What do you want? Do you know the first words that Jesus said when he called um, uh, uh, Simon or Andrew, that first first disciple, he called them to himself, and they they came up to him, and they were like, hey, we've heard that you you are the Messiah. And Jesus, the very first thing he says to them is, what do you want? What do you want? What do you hunger and thirst for? What Jesus tells us is that within the formation of our moral imaginations as kingdom citizens, the place where we find the blessedness that God has designed for us and freely wants to give to us is at the heart of things we are to hunger and thirst not for blessing. We are to hunger and thirst for righteousness. You see, the condition of blessing Jesus is unfolding for us here is that if you want to experience this blessedness of the kingdom, it will come not by desiring it, it will come through desiring righteousness. Now when we think about righteousness, we're going to unfold this for the rest of the sermons that are on the Sermon on the Mount because that's part of what Jesus is unfolding for us in this sermon is what does righteousness look like? What is the righteousness that surpasses the righteousness of the Pharisee? Well, at its heart, it is a righteousness that desires God and not a a righteousness that desires God's good gifts as long as those gifts come according to their preferences.
What did the Pharisees want? The Pharisees wanted to be known as the most powerful geopolitical entity in the world. They didn't want to serve Rome. They didn't want Rome to be in their land. What they wanted was Rome to be under their feet. And so why were the Pharisees so adamant in promoting law-keeping within Israel of that time? It was because the lack of law-keeping had led them to being kicked out of Jerusalem and going into Babylon. And so law-keeping is going to be the way that keeps us here and gets us what we want. And they were willing to pursue God's law as long as it was going to get them what they wanted in this life. What Jesus tells us we are to hunger and thirst after is righteousness. Righteousness has three basic elements. You, you have the, the, the legal element or the law element in terms of being in a, in a right relationship with God. It, it has a moral element of how does one um, embody God's goodness and his truth and his beauty. And, and, and it has a social element of what does it you know, look like when it gets lived out within a community. So it has three different dimensions that we're going to get in, into those. But my point right now is don't limit this to simply thinking in terms of the legal aspect. In the Reformed faith, it is very important to us that, that we defend and uphold and promote the doctrine of justification, that, that we, are, we are counted righteous in Jesus Christ, that Jesus' righteousness, his moral perfection, his moral embodiment, the, as he is that, that expression of the heavenly God and goodness and truth and beauty, that that is gifted to us because you and I can't get it on our own. And, 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 and that's what we need in order to, to be in a right relationship with God, to truly enjoy union and communion with God, and not to be scared of God, but, but to long for Him and to want Him, that we need that gift of righteousness. But what Jesus is talking about here is that, yes, we are to hunger and thirst for that, but there is so much more. It is not simply as long as I hold to the right doctrine of justification that I can say that I'm hungering and thirsting for righteousness. No. It includes that. But it must also include a desire for God's righteousness to be embodied in you. Now, did you listen to the words that we sang just moments of uh, just moments ago? Own own my life, reign supreme in my life, conquer every rebel power in my life. Let no vice or sin remain in my life. Let nothing in me that resists your holy war let that not remain in me. I was blinded by my sin. I I didn't have a taste for heaven's joys. 
But you've given that to me. Now develop that within me. That, that there, is, there is this embracing of the gift of righteousness that, that puts us into this right relationship with God. But that righteousness that is gifted to us, beloved, you and I will perfectly, gloriously embody that for all eternity. You and I will be little walking expressions of the law of God. When Jesus returns and when the fullness of the kingdom is ushered in and when you and I receive our new bodies and we see Christ and we are made like Christ, we will be the embodiment of the full embodiment of God's goodness, truth, and beauty. That's what we're going to be. So we're counted as that right now. We're going to be that perfectly when Jesus comes again. In between those two points, beloved, we don't just kick back and decide to embrace the values of the world while we wait. We don't experience the blessedness by pursuing our preferences. We don't pick and choose. But as those who have been drawn into Christ, where His food was to do the Father's will, beloved, that Christ is in you. And the desires of that Christ are being worked within you. It is for us to cultivate those things. And the image God puts before us this morning is to hunger and to thirst for them. And that is because you and I, as we are traveling as pilgrims, as sojourners, as we are ambassadors of that coming kingdom living in a foreign land, as we are passing from Egypt to Canaan, As we are doing that, we are living in a world that is not our home. And and we go through that that same experience of, of being in the wilderness where God is making us hungry for Him and then feeding Himself to us when we embrace Him by faith. We are in a dry and weary land where there is no water, and the water we need, Jesus freely offers us and says, when you drink of this water, not only will it quench your thirst for that moment, it will become a spring that will eternally quench your thirst. We live in a dry and weary land, and the idea of hungering and thirsting is so vividly and effectually captures this need that you and I have to remember that we have to be emptied in order to be filled. You see, hunger and thirst is not something that you can take care of within yourself. If you're hungry, what do you have to do? Some of us know this very well. You got to eat something. And you don't want to eat yourself. Right? That's called what? That's called starvation. And that leads to what? Death. 
When you don't eat, whether if it's because of sin working itself through you, through, through something like anorexia, or sin working through you because you live in a part of the world where, where, where despots are, 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 are hoarding resources for themselves and letting people be poor and go without, regardless of the reason, if you don't eat, Something that comes from outside of you, we now know scientifically your body will eat itself. And you will consume yourself until you die. So you can't get away from hungering and thirsting. The question is, what is it that you are eating and drinking? Is it that which leads to eternal life? Or is it that which leads to death? We are to hunger and to thirst because you and I, even in Christ, are still in desperate need for the fullness of God's kingdom to come. And we are not to become satisfied with things that can't satisfy. What do you want? What are you hungering and thirsting after? God will humble you in order to create hunger within you that only He can satisfy. And what Jesus tells us is that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for God. For you will be filled. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in my own life through these last few weeks, I have been undergoing the blessedness of you revealing just how much I try to dance around you and skirt you and enjoy you in ways that I want, but find excuses for getting out from under when it's something I don't like. And so, Father, you have been showing me my desperate need, not for salvation, In terms of justification, you have so freely and completely and totally and utterly gifted the fullness of that to me. But Lord, you are also gifting me with sanctification and will one day gift me with glorification. And in those things, Lord, I have been struggling and I would imagine others here have been as well. I want the glorification now. I want to see righteousness in my life now. Not the righteousness that comes from you making me hunger for you so that I have to turn from from wanting the wrong thing to to wanting you. I I want the kind of righteousness, Lord, that makes my life easy uh, because that you are confronting everybody around me in, in order for them to become righteous so that I can enjoy my setting. I want 
so much, Lord, to see you come and, and to defeat my enemies in, in order that I don't have to languish under being humbled and having to be meek and love my enemy. And so, Lord, forgive me and forgive us and help us to truly hunger and thirst which is for for that which is from the heavenlies, that which is eternal, and yes, that which is costly right now. But it is a cross, and it is a death that leads to life. It is an emptying of finite things to be filled with the infinite. And so, Lord, help us as your people to learn to starve ourselves from the things that are harmful and to truly crave that which brings life. And so, Lord, use your word and use your sacraments moment from now, the sacrament moments from now to reorient our taste buds for the heavenly things. And to be willing to, to let you roam freely through our hearts and minds to show us all those areas that want to go back to Egypt. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.